do this for me so I can have a conversation with interesting people. And uh, then there's the wonderful opportunity to share it with other people. Fantastic. Well, then <clears throat> let's have a talk about men's work and um, why do I do it? Um, and why do I have a passion for it? Well, I can talk about why I have a passion for it in a moment, but why do I do it? And um, I, I have these scripts running in my head that I'm not good enough or that I'm doing something wrong or, or just, just, just whatever. And there are parts of me that I really don't like about myself or I judge myself really harshly for, or that I try and hide. I try and hide from other people and I try and hide from myself. And there's a lot of shame there and there's a lot of fear of it being exposed. And when I sit down in a structured circle of men, a, a safe place, I see other men be vulnerable and hear how they deal with and, 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 and what they think of and what they feel about with those parts of themselves that I judge myself so harshly for. And when I hear them and connect with them, I don't judge them. I think they're heroes. I, I, I think they're really brave. And, and uh, you know, I feel uncomfortable saying the L word, but I love them in, in a brotherly way. And because those things I can't accept about in myself, but, but I admire in them and feel compassion for them, that helps me admire and feel compassion for myself. And um, so that inspires me. I, I was given this gift by some, you know, many men who've helped me with this over the years. That inspires me then to pass that along and make it safe for other men. Hmm. I have such a similar feeling about that work. Yeah. That, that there is just the, the sanctity of that circle knowing that there is ceremony and safety and reverence and yeah. that what gets shared there is safely shared there. And we can each hold the space for each other. Hmm. We can each be heard and then we can hear and we can listen. I find that it makes me remember that I'm not going crazy. <laughs> that that my experience is very similar, maybe not identical, but very similar to many other men. Yeah. I sat in circle last night and it ended up being a four hour circle. Wow. Around a fire, uh, 12 other men. And uh, yeah, straight down the rabbit hole. It was brilliant. And there were some men that hadn't sat in circle before there and other men that were returning to circle after some time away and feeling a little bit jaded about working so hard on themselves and then still belting themselves up against a wall. Mm -hmm. So reconnecting with the work. Yes. The mm. self-flagellation. Yes, exactly. So that was wonderful. Uh, men from uh, different generations and older and younger men. And as we went around the circle, almost every man said, I see myself in everyone who was spoken before me mm. just wonderful it's wonderful it's an incredible experience of um belonging and i'll use the l word again it's an incredible experience of love and um 
I, I, I really liked your introduction there about the reasons that you are in this personally, because um, I, I heard a quote from the Dalai Lama saying, everybody's selfish. <laughs> um, but, and I forget his exact words, but something is um, a good way to do it is to be wisely selfish. So I figure with what I do, I'm doing it for me and it might look like I'm doing it for others, but at the heart of it, I get so much out of it. And I'm just glad that there's a, a win-win situation, if you like, mm. where I can get something out of it and do some good as well. It's quite inspiring. Yeah. I, and it's really interesting that you bring up the word selfish because I remember being taught as a youngster that being selfish was bad, that it's more important to be selfless. And I carried that around for a long time with the mistaken understanding. Uh, and, and I think what I came to was I was mistaking being nice to other people uh, at the expense of myself uh, with kindness and with kindness, I could be kind to other people. And sometimes that was tough love. I didn't have to be nice all the time. And so I didn't have to just give away myself and, and become empty in the process that the truth of being selfish is sometimes you have to fill your own cup first before you can give to other people. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to come to that. And uh, just, just having learned that explicitly from parents and teachers and then by osmosis, but just bringing it in. Uh, I think we need to be selfish. We have to take care of ourselves. And I love what you said just then about doing it for yourself. And then that has the ripple effect for others. Yeah. Because you know what your experience is and you know, if it's hitting for you, so you can radiate that out. Well, one of the hardest things I've found coming into men's work, and I see a lot of new guys come in and really struggle with this. And um, so, you know, I try and encourage them is the concept of speaking for myself of mm. eye language. And so, yeah, like a lot of people, children are taught, don't be selfish, don't be self-centered, include others, share your toys, do all this sort of stuff. And that comes out in speech. So rather than talking about myself, um, I'm, I'm, I'm brought up to include others and, and make collusive statements like we think this or we should do this or... You know, the, a classic example I use is, you know, when you go around a roundabout and someone doesn't indicate and you get pissed off, well, that might not be true for everybody. So I'm encouraged in a, in a men's circle or, or any good group work, really, to say, when I go around a roundabout and people don't indicate, I get angry. And then I wonder why I get so upset over little things, but let people walk all over me for big things because I want them to like me. And... You know, that's a tough one. So for me, I, I grew up in a family with three brothers and we all had to think and agree on the same stuff as a family unit. You know, we'd have to eat the same food and do all these things. We had to have the same spiritual beliefs, which I really found really annoying when I was a teenager and started to form my own, mm -hmm. that I wasn't allowed to have my own stuff. And so, you know, I, I would hide things with you and we and everything like that. And I've learned since then that the power of a men's circle is, you know, each man, each person can have different beliefs, um, can have different reactions to the same stimulus. And each man's the expert on himself. There's no need for this common belief or common anything. 
And so when I'm expressing something, I'm not asking you to collude in it. <laughs> and when I'm saying something good, I'm not blowing it off out there to everybody. I'm really, you know, when something's beneficial for me, I'm really owning it. And I've found that's been great in circles. It's been great in my personal growth. And it's also been great in my personal life and my business life. Now, I can see it's not going to work everywhere. When I get into marketing speak, I might do yes, we and you. And I can't see the politicians in Canberra doing eye language. They love to talk all about what the other party's doing. <laughs> but for personal growth, it's an amazing tool. Mm. That was one of the first things that really hit me as I went through the initial process. Uh, it was a common ground process that started my local circle that I've been a member of for five years now. Different circle to the one that was last night. That's just a new thing. But, that, but one of the things that came up was you speak from you. You use I language. And as we did the initial work, we were reminded to come back to I language. And uh, I had to remember that because I was speaking in terms of we and you, but meaning me, I. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, just using the wrong word there mm. or the, not wrong, the inappropriate word for where we are right now and what we're talking about. And th that's been one of the greatest benefits to me because it has allowed me and has given me permission to think about myself and feel about myself. And I stopped after a, it took me a little while thinking about what I needed to say as the circle progressed <laughs> and really tuning into all of the eye language from all the other men. Yeah. And then sometimes the stick would come around to me and I didn't know what to say. And I would sit there and just feel it. And then I could come out with something that was meaningful. So it's just, it's amazing what opens up when there is a demonstration of what's possible. And then you yeah. can just allow yourself to go with that trust that the process will work and if it doesn't it's okay as well well i, I as, as a facilitator of groups these days it's a little bit different I, I really need to listen and focus on what people say and in a good man's circle i find um if there's any feedback it's after every man has spoken so i really got to listen to what a man says and think about mm -hmm. you know what's my reaction to that what's personal what's this what have I got for him? And if I want to give him some feedback, I've got to listen to another nine guys and remember it and prioritize it. So it's helped me a lot with being present. But uh, every now and then in a new circle, and certainly when I first started, uh, somebody would start off sharing with a talking stick and it would be passed around from man to man. And I could not listen to the other guys. All I could think about was rehearsing what I was saying, not so much so I could sound good, that was important, but so I could be safe, you know, and not get ridiculed or teased or anything. I'll talk about that in a second, but I'd be rehearsing what I was going to say. And finally, the stick would get round to me and I'd think, oh, I'll be word perfect by now, but the panic would creep in. <laughs> and what I'd rehearsed was, was out of sync with what I was feeling and... I'd blurt out whatever I had to blurt out. It was never as good as what I'd rehearsed in my head. I'd say a ho or ho, pass the stick on to the next man. And then I'd go, oh, thank goodness that's over. Now I can listen. But oh, no, then all the little voices come in. Oh, you should have said this. You spent too long on that. You forgot to say this. You could. <laughs> but 
in the in in the minimal glimpses of listening that I did with the other men, yeah, I just got the message that um, you know it's safe and and it's okay not to know what to say. <laughs> and everybody's going through the same thing, perhaps in my judgment, but in their own way. Mm. So, you know, we, we're talking about men's circles, and I know there are some great women's circles and great um, mixed circles there. But yeah, I, I, I just want to give you some of my thoughts on uh, gender and why, well, why I put so much effort into men's work rather than people's work. And I think the messages I got when I was a little boy, and I think most men get from what I hear, led me to believe that when I became a man, I'd never be sad. Now, I never actually thought that, but these are subliminal messages. And the reason I got that was if I was sad when I was a little boy, I'd cry. And I'd get told and comforted, that's okay, little boys cry, but big boys don't cry and men don't cry. And mm -hmm. I'd never seen a man cry. So yeah, men don't get sad, made sense to me. And then, you know, as a little kid starting school, being scared and being called a chicken or a scaredy cat, a fraidy cat, a coward or whatever, and teased for it, which really hurt. And I'd get the messages, that's okay, but big boys aren't scared. Big boys are brave and mm. men are brave. And I'm going, well, wow, what, what a great deal this is being a man. Because, <laughs> you know, I'll never be scared either. I haven't seen any men get scared. Because so, real men don't get scared and real men yeah. don't cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, no, no, no. I took it further than that. Don't even get sad. Oh. Yeah. You know, maybe someone dies every 10 years or something, but um, other than that. And then you just stoically get through the grieving process when that happens. Yeah, yeah. You have to be strong for everyone else. Yep. So I thought I'd be like Bruce Willis in Die Hard, you know? Oh, didn't we all? <laughs> Yeah, go to a funeral once every 10 years and that'd be sad. And then, you know, get back on with it. And I'd never be scared because I'd always know what to do. And so when I became a man, whenever that was, and I'd feel sad, oh, there's something wrong with me. Mm. And I'd feel scared. Oh, there's something wrong with me. And I got to hide this. So I'll put on my mask. Hey, you going, Tim? All good. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah. And 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 have the the the, the conflicting th these three horrible conflicting emotions of shame. There's something wrong with me. Other people don't aren't like this. Of sadness. This is really sad that I'm feeling sad and everything. And there's something wrong with me. And of course, fear that anybody would see through this mask I have and find out. And. So that's going on, I think, for a lot of guys. It's certainly, I would like to say it was going on for me, but it still goes on. <laughs> it's just in there. It's just not as prevalent. But the other one is, you know, the difference between men and women. I can get in trouble here for talking about genders. But if I was to generalise, and I will, I'd say generally when the going gets tough and things get challenging, women like to talk about stuff. And they'll talk about feelings and, you know, really, really healthy, sensible stuff. But blokes, instead of wanting to talk about it, 
blokes would rather fix it. Yeah. So Put give me a out. Yes. Build something. <laughs> give me a hammer. Give me a computer. Everything's a nail. And I can fix it. And if I can't, I can outsource it to someone who can fix it for me. Perfect. But when it comes to challenges in my family, in my relationships, and in my blind spots, often my attempts to fix things are a disaster. And again, when they're a disaster and they don't work out, all this shame comes up. <laughs> I don't want to share that. <laughs> I don't want you to see that I'm not feeling good enough and I want to hide it. And it's a horrible, lonely place to be. So let's jump forward quite a few years now to some men sitting in a circle and it's almost a competition to say how much I've fucked up <laughs> in a safe place. Sure. You think you've fucked up? Let me tell you about mine. <laughs> um, that, that's an awesome place to be. The, the stuff I used to have to hide, my liabilities and things like that, are now assets that can help other guys open up mm. and have this wonderful belonging experience. I remember uh, it's actually very interesting that you talk about that in such a way of just getting in there and dumping all of your stuff on everyone else. And initially that's what it feels like this catharsis. So I can get it out here and it's safe. And I've been wanting to do this for so long. I got to a point that my circles for me started to feel like it, it was just this circle of negativity until I, yes. until I realized that that's just where the circle was in its, in its growth. It had a life of its own. And we were in that part of the journey where we needed to get our stuff out so we could let go of it. And my small circle wasn't trying to outdo itself so much, but everyone was getting deeper and deeper because they, as they kept doing their own work within the circle and then outside the circle, more stuff would come up. And I did some introspection on this and it wasn't until very recently that I worked out that I was uncomfortable sharing my joyous experience yes. and my successes with the group. Yes. And it took me a long time to work out that that's what I'd done. So there was a period within my circle where I was quite quiet for a long time because I had no, I had no more to share with to get it off my chest. But I also felt very uncomfortable saying it's all going all right at the moment because some of the other men, it wasn't going all right for, and I didn't want to be seen as someone who was being too successful, too happy, too content, too almost feeling guilty. Yes. It was definitely that. Yeah. And I only worked that out very recently, very, very recently where, and I've started to move into circles. And so the circle I was talking about last night is an open circle. So I meet new men in the circle and my longer term circle is a closed circle. And we've been brothers for a long time. So different dynamics. I also run an online circle and people from around the world join it. So I've got these different places, but I can sit in each of them now and I feel comfortable sharing whatever's happening for me. And if it's good, it's good. And if it's bad, it's bad. Whatever those two words mean. Took me a long time to be okay to share all of that different stuff. Not thinking that this is just a place to get shit off my chest. Yeah. I still find that hard. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, it's not easy for me. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy, but it's just yeah. a realization. One, one of the, um, you, you would have 
maybe come across this in common ground the first time and many times since, but there's a process called honouring where men will point out qualities and gifts that they see in other men. Mm, powerful. And there's three parts to, to it. There's giving and honouring, there's receiving and honouring, and there's witnessing it. And and witnessing is good because, you know, it's, it's, it makes it a bit of a, a ritual and makes it a bit more real. But the um, I'm uncomfortable with giving honouring, with giving compliments. No, no, mm. no. Sorry. I used to be very uncomfortable. It's just a, still a little whisper of a memory of it there because you know, pointing out a quality, I might get it wrong. Or the guy might, I'm giving this feedback to, um, you know, if I was to give you some feedback and saying, you know, I think this is amazing that the way that you take a risk, put yourself out there and sacrifice your time to help other people. And you're taking a risk. I really like the way you take a risk with some of your insights, which may or may not be popular and put them out there because they're in your heart and you firmly believe them. So there's an honouring, but um, I used to find it really hard to honour anybody without going into sentences and sentences in case they thought I was pissing in their pocket or wanted mm. something. And I found it really hard to receive because, oh, that's what you see. But I've got all this evidence of how I fucked up that you can't see. <laughs> and I found out later, a, a, a guy told me an interesting analogy with um, receiving feedback. I, I, I did a training course um on tuesday down in new south wales first time across the border and there were 12 participants and we've got 12 feedback forms and 11 of them were nine and 10 out of 10 and one of them was five and for 10 minutes after reading that what was i focused on <laughs> the five so um yeah a wise man i was in a group with um and uh, he uh, I'll name him Peter Saxon, he's a bit of a public figure. And he was saying that the NASA space program developed a lot of technologies that uh, we use in everyday life. And, and, and two of them were Teflon and Velcro. And he was saying, you know, often, and, and I say this now in men's groups, often when I get thrown a compliment, I'm made of Teflon. <laughs> oh, gee, Tim, I like your shirt. Oh yeah, but it was on special. Yeah, I really like that work you did. Oh yeah, but it was gonna just blow it off, deflect it. But Very one little neg one little negative comment, ouch, it sticks <laughs> like Velcro. <laughs> yes. What an analogy. It's so apt. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's uh, so true. E easy story for, for people to make sense of. So, yeah, um, honouring and bringing out that. So I, I would often feel guilty. I've just done an amazing camp um, with about uh, 40 men of varying ages a camp for teenage boys and their dad. And I've got a lot of good stories and I'm feeling really good about myself with that. But I was at a men's group on Wednesday night and I made sure I didn't share first. And when I shared all the amazing stuff, I shared how uncomfortable, it was great, but I also shared how uncomfortable I was sharing it. Because what I found it, particularly in these open circles, is um, if we throw the talking stick on the floor and say, any man may speak, pick it up and go. If the first guy picks up the stick and unintentionally goes, oh, life is so awesome. I've got a huge dick. <laughs> I've got a great family. I've got this, I've got this. I'm so grateful, blah, blah, blah. Thank you, your turn. <laughs> the next bloke hasn't got many places to go. 
And the whole circle will go like that. And I have to go, time out, time out. What's happening here? We can have this conversation at the pub. Let, let's talk about, you know, how mm. I feel about that and everything like that and, and bring it back yeah. into perspective. So, yeah, I still feel guilty about sharing the good stuff and I'll make sure I don't do it first or sneak myself halfway through the circle and bring it out. And it can be powerful as well because I think that that, that starts to come back to this selfishness, this focus on self. If you tell people that you're doing really well, well, that's very egotistical. And we get stuck in judgment. Then I'm judging that you're going to judge me, but I don't necessarily yeah. know that you're going to judge me, but I'm judging that you will judge me. Yeah, so you don't, you don't have to in. judge me. I'll get in first and do it for you. Yeah, and I'll judge you, <laughs> damn you. Even if you're not judging me, I'm going to judge you first. Yeah. Uh, well, that, moving in with expectation. And, so uh, that's an interesting thing. A lot of guys say to me, you know, a lot of new guys go, oh, this is life-changing. Coming mm -hmm. to a men's circle, there's no judgment. And I'll just nod my head and go, yeah, because that's exactly how I felt. If the man's experienced, I'll say there's heaps of judgment. I'm judging the hell out of every single one of you and myself. But what I've learned is to own my judgments. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Because the judgment comes up. I, I, I am coming to the space where I can acknowledge my judgment and more and more often I don't automatically do something with it. Uh-huh. And the judgment doesn't go away. Being it's still there, I see someone walking down the street, oh, you know, he doesn't take care of himself. What's he doing? You know, what's she doing wearing those shoes? <laughs> All that. But I don't have to do anything with it. Yeah. And the, and the thing that I, I'm working on myself at the moment is not judging myself for judging other people. That's a hard one for me. Um, because again, I don't want to be, uh, why do I feel shame and guilt? Because I thought that. That just came up. I don't know. Is that me thinking that? Where did that thought come from? I'm not going to do anything with it. I've thought something that's really quite, not quite nice about that person who I don't even know. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity just to let it go. It's not easy, but that's sort of where I'm, I'm playing around in that area at the moment, trying to see if I can let this stuff come up and not do anything with it. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, just about every men's workshop and group and everything I've been has had, a, has had an unwritten theme beneath it of I'd like to respond rather than react, you know? Mm. And I think that's what you're talking about. So, yeah, so I've got this judgment. Of course, I mean, I mean if I stick my hand on a hot stove, <laughs> I'm not even having a thought. <laughs> I'm pulling that sucker away, you know, that, that, that's just a reaction. And, I, and I'm not suggesting that that's not the right thing to do, but in some situations, yeah, I really, really overreact. And I, I guess in my years of men's work, I've always had this belief that the next workshop, the next thing I do, I'm going to be awesome hmm. <laughs> and changed forever. And I'll have the secret and I'll be able to respond rather than react. And I do make great progress, but uh, they, they keep coming out in new ways. I like to say, you know, I go home and my family knows if they push that button, they'll get a response and they push that button and that over, don't get a, they don't again. get a reaction anymore because Tim's done a few workshops. So you'd think that'd be awesome and they live happily ever after. Oh, no, they're going to try this way and this way and this way and they'll get a reaction. 
<laughs> Where's the other button? I know there's another one. Yes. Let's find a new one. And and, oh, and uh, that that that's I like to be able to have a laugh about it. You know, that's that's yeah. another great thing about men's work: the humour. Oh, yeah, I think you have to have the ability to laugh at yourself, especially when you're digging through all your muck and stuff mm. keeps coming up. <laughs> My moments of clear perspective where I've had a day that's just been I've gone for a walk in the bush. I've done a mindfulness practice. I've done some yoga, some meditation. I've uh, helped someone with something and feeling all Zen. And then one of my kids comes home and in one sentence, I go, ah, oh, fuck. That's Boom. I'm like, what just happened there? Now oh, that's one of my buttons. Okay. There's that's pointing to where the work is. All right. Okay. That's, that's next. <laughs> just amazing. I thought I was, oh, no, I'm not there. No, there's more to do. Okay. Next. So there's an amazing man down in the northern rivers of New South Wales called uh, Neil Bryant and um, Ned. He's an elder in men's work and um, been a huge role model for me. And he's just got one-liners about everything. Uh -huh. And, and I, I love the humour he brings to men's work, but... And I often quote him, but one of his famous sayings is he talks about his family as they're his personal trainers mm. in personal growth, you know? Exactly. I don't react to this anymore. They'll find a new way. Oh, it's true. It's, uh, you know, I was saying the other day that my puppy is my guru. So I've got a nine-month-old puppy. Uh-huh. And she's present all the time. And... She wants to play with me when I'm there, but if I don't have the moment to play with her because I have to run around and do work or go go to the shops and buy dinner or whatever, that's okay. She goes off to the next thing. So <laughs> I've got this being here that's not even human. So we might judge this being as not having the same level of intellect or consciousness, and yet I can, I can learn so much just in that experience in that moment with a yeah. nine-month-old puppy. My daughter is 10. <laughs> She's like a sage sometimes. She'd be like, Daddy, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's the most profound thing I've heard this year. Yeah. And wow. I'm going to hold on to that. That's great. I don't, I don't have to think about, oh, that came from a 10-year-old. I don't know. What does she know? She'll just give me a daddy every day. Oh, and my son, who's not a talker, he'll model some stuff. Ah, okay. You're just showing me my edges, aren't you, young man? All right. Okay. That's why we're rubbing up against each other. And I could think that maybe you need to change, but that's, that's not for <laughs> me to decide. So where, what can I do about this? Ooh. <laughs> Down the rabbit well, hole. So that wisdom of ages, you know, a, a, a good men's circle and, and, and I get there are men's groups for all sorts of different things. There are, there are men's groups based around sexual orientation. There are men's groups based around common interests. Mm. There are men's groups based around age. But to me, a good men's group, I mean, a good men's group can be based around anything, but a good one has a, has a mixture of age in there because this wisdom, I learn so much from people younger than me mm -hmm. and I learn so much from people older than me. So when I went through my big life midlife crisis, I, um, you know, I was, I was doing pretty good. I owned some real estate and, you know, had, had money in the bank and lots and lots of things. And I went from there to being completely broke. 
And I was thinking, oh, you know, how do I get back to that? And do I really want to? And sitting around in circle, I'd, I'd hear some older guys who had a lot of assets and money and everything and who were pretty bloody miserable. Well, I judged as pretty miserable and I'm going, oh, I don't want to be them. And I, I'd see some other guys who I really valued, who had nothing, didn't have two cents to rub together. They were on the old, old age pension and they were living awesome lives. And so, you know, that helped me readapt to my new mantra, which is, you know, I was born with nothing and I've still got most of it left. Um, and I, I learned how to um, yeah, change my expectations and everything and how getting old can really suck in some ways, particularly the physical parts, but can be just awesome in others. And from younger fellas, you know, we get... Um, 25 year olds in our group sometimes and you know if there's a few of them they'll hang around if they're the only 20 year old they don't want to be the youngest person in the group but I remember we had a young fellow who was about to turn 25 and he was sharing he was saying oh things are going to be different because I've always been saying when I turn 25 I'll have this together when I turn 25 this happens when I turn 25 this happens and he said and I don't want to be saying that about turning 30 you know I want to live in the now and I'm going, gee, I'm about to turn 60. <laughs> I'm still saying the same stuff. And I'm looking at some older guys and going, mate, do you think you'll have it together? You know, when you're 80. <laughs> so there's some incredible wisdom from younger men. You know, I see them and I go, Oh, wow. I used to do that. And I'm glad I don't anymore. Or mm. I see, wow, I used to do that. And why don't I anymore? Mm, that one's a nice one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we can grow old gracefully and disgracefully and sometimes they're, either way is good. Yeah. yeah. Have a little bit of vim about it. So there's not much, you know, study, that, you know, women, there's a lot of medical and psychological studies based on different ages, you know, the menopause phase and everything like that. But with men, there's like pediatrics and then you become a man and then the next thing is geriatrics. Um, we're all supposed to be the same. And I, I found out as part of learning about eldership that that's not the case. Um, and, and there's different phases of happiness in men that I've found. And um, I first came across this with Anna Rubinstein, who does, started off the um, Pathways Foundation and still runs those rites of passage camps for teenage boys. And that is... Most boys are pretty happy, you know, some have horrible traumatic childhoods, but in general, boys are pretty happy till the age of about 11 or 12. And then suddenly all this self-doubt comes in, they're fitting in as a teenager, their whole brain changes and, you know, is finally rewired at about age 27. But somewhere in their early 20s, they drop all that teenage anxiety <laughs> and become pretty happy again. And this is the stage of their life where they're getting a career, they've left mum and dad or are leaving mum and dad, they're finding a mate, finding their way in the world. And they're happy till about late 30s or early 40s. And, you know, in my experience, what happened then was, um, you know, hair started to grow in places that it wasn't supposed to, like in my nose and my ears and all of that sort of stuff. The long, the long eyebrows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it started changing colour. And I love my hair colour at the moment. 
but you know it was pepper and salt there for a while so i dye my hair in denial of it um my sexual stuff doesn't work like it used to you know and it, it keeps going downhill um everything i did till i turned 40 everything i did i got better at mm-hmm. and suddenly there are younger people coming along who are doing it better than me if i went to the gym i'd always get better and bigger and now i'm not and nobody talked about this stuff i did it all privately but there was a huge amount of grief and i didn't even know i was grieving and so there's there's a period of unhappiness there for most men from like late 30s early 40s to mid to late 50s or some of them you know late 40s and some guys unfortunately just end up and this was a track i was on to become a grumpy old man for the rest of my life <laughs> who was always right um and 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 um some guys step into eldership you know the um what's what happens for a lot of blokes what's happened for me is my testosterone levels go right down and just learning from other older men what was going on the big turning point for me was i must have been i think i was in my early 50s and i used to go to this gym with my son and there were the young guys there you know with all the tats and muscles and everything in their 30s all working out and I'd been going to this gym for a year or two. And I remember with my water bottle heading towards the water refill machine. And this really, really well-built guy, late 30s, sees me and steps back and goes, oh, there you are, sir. And I'm almost looking around. Oh, is my school teacher or my dad behind me or something? He's calling me, sir. And I went, thank you. And I went back and I, later on, it occurred to me, wow, something really profound happened there. Mm-hmm. He just let me know. I mean, that was wonderful respect, but he just let me know he didn't see me as competition. And I was really sad because I want to be well-built and I want to be. He doesn't see me as competition. And then I felt into it and how liberating that was. How liberating. And that's when I started to, you know, get a bit keen on eldership and met up with um, a guy called Wes Carter, who's got the OAM Order of Australia for doing men's work. And um, he runs a retreat in Bali called The Elder's Way. So I've been back a couple of times and helped him run them. And I I like to see eldership as um, the grandfather, for men, the grandfatherly energy. So I remember when I had young kids, people would say, oh, being grandparents is awesome. You can take them, spoil the hell out of them and hand them back. Well, I've had that experience too as an uncle. I've taken my nieces, spoiled the hell out of them. Uncle Timmy's the best person in the world and then hand them back. But the grandfatherly experience is a little bit different. And the way I describe it is, you know, little Billy's about five years old, comes out into the yard and sees granddad there. And, you know, there's mum and dad. Little Billy knows what's important in life. Discovery, making friends, having fun, you know, love. And then there's mum and dad. And that's not important to them that he can see. What's important to them is structure and make your bed. And don't forget to eat your vegetables. And we've got soccer practice on Wednesday afternoons. And I know you don't want to go, but we're going anyway. 
And little Billy just rolls his eyes over all that stuff. And then there's granddad and granddad knows what's important too. Love, discovery, making friends, all of that stuff. And he knows the importance of structure. So, and he just loves little Billy to death. And what I see, I'm not a granddad yet, but what I see as the role of a lot of elder men that I'm involved with in our culture and society is healing the missing father wound. So, okay, I can see this is hitting you. It hits me, hits a lot of men. When I was going through my big, my marriage bust up, my mental health, my addiction, all of these concerns in midlife, I really wanted my dad to say to me, mate, I see what you're going through and it's tough. And mate, you're not the only one. A lot of people go through it. I've been through it similar, not the same. And I've just been watching you. And I want you to know, mate, I'm really proud of you. Mm. You know, and I want you to know you'll get through this. And it might not seem like it, but some awesome things will come of it. I, I just wanted those words of love and support and inspiration and pride. Now, my old man, he probably tried to say that to me, but I wasn't going to take that shit from him. <laughs> he had to pay for all the shit he did when I was younger. I, I don't know what it was, but I couldn't oh. hear it. So I have two sons of my own. And I try and say similar stuff. And they don't want to hear it. They, they, it's, it's intensely uncomfortable. I keep trying. But if I serve it up with shakes and a fries, which is how I think they want it, no, they want it with salad and water. So I'll give it to them with, no, nah, I wanted it with shakes and fries. So that's sad too, but I'll keep trying. But what is beautiful is that, and I didn't realize it at the time, I got that, mate, I see what you're going through. It's really tough. A lot of people go through this. You're doing well. I'm proud of you. You'll get through this. I get that from older men in men's groups. I got that from my elders. I got that love mm. unconditionally. And wow. You know, the, I give this now to lots of other younger men. Younger men from whatever age up. And, and some younger men who are older than me in years, but who need this. And that's the way I see it. They probably don't see it that way. But it just gives me such a feeling of this is what I'm on the planet to do at this stage of my life. Um, it's good to be Tim giving that, healing that father wound and encouraging other guys to do the same. Mm. So, yeah, it sucks having no hair. It sucks having no strength. It sucks health going downhill. But, oh, it's just beautiful being an older man. Yeah, it's uh, – I'm 45. I, I mean, I don't put myself in the old man basket, but my body is making me realise that I am older. Mm. But, Something that came up, I'll talk about that in a moment, maybe, but something that just came up then was as you were talking about grandfatherly energy and that role. My dad was always really busy being the provider when I was a kid. And so uh, there's a story that many men have, uh, you know, yeah. my dad was 
My dad's parents came over from Poland after the war. So he had that upbringing that you have to work hard because we left, we left chaos and disaster and evil and all of this stuff. And now we're in the lucky country. And so you make something of yourself. Rah, 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 rah. So my, you know, my dad bought into that and did bloody well. Great man. I love my dad to bits. And yet I still remember being a kid wanting him to kick the footy with me, play cricket, have enough time yeah. to sit down and have a chat and all that kind of stuff. And that didn't happen. And that's okay. I, you know, I, I can accept that now. I didn't accept it then. I can accept it now. But the growing older part, as, as I've watched him become a granddad with my mm-hmm. kids and to see what he gets out of it, because he missed something as well when he wasn't able to be my dad when I wanted him to be my dad. Mm. That somehow he gets being granddad with my boy and my daughter, but I've seen him with my son and sometimes trying to connect with my son who can be a little bit, I want my own space at times. And I'm like, ah, you know, you are getting something out of this. And it, and mm. it's great because it, it, it heals me in some way as well, because I realized that he wasn't trying to push me away. He was doing his best, mm. but now he's getting that thing that he missed. Mm. And it's just beautiful because he's got the time and he's got the space, you know, and his body's slowing down. So he doesn't have to run around building as much shit as he used to, you know, fixing mm. as many problems and he can just be there. It's great. I love it. Like, and it's, He's not trying to be granddad. He just is just there, just there for his grandson and his granddaughter. I love it. Step Mm. out of the way. Let him have that moment. It's wonderful. It's a great win-win. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that they're stuck down in country Victoria and we can't see them at the moment, but shit happens and we'll get past it. Yeah. I was, when you were talking about being in the gym, one of, I've, uh, Going on 20 years, I studied Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which in, in its way is one of the more brutal martial arts because it's all about grappling. So you're, at, you're working with resistance the whole time, not getting punched in the face and kicked in the head and all that kind of stuff. But it's a grappling martial art. So it's hard on the joints, it's hard on the muscle, it's hard on the body. There's no way to be polite in any session. So I started when I was 26, 27 and 45 now, as I said. And I've worked out that for the last five or 10 years, I've been competing with people who are 10 to 15 kilos heavier, 10 to 15 kilo, uh, 10 to 15 years younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing they don't have is the amount of experience, which doesn't necessarily mean I'm better. So I've got to, I've got to uh, take my punishment sometimes. Mm. And I had a, I had a session with, so I've, I've recently got a brown belt which is or, you know, the next steps black belt, which is a big thing in the, in the community until you get it. When, I mean, it's not a big thing anymore. <laughs> One of those big stepping stones that everyone puts up here. And this uh, younger man that I, I uh, had a role with, had a wrestle with, who would be uh, almost a half a foot taller than me in the prime of his life, brilliant at the martial art and, and basically one belt lower than I am. And at the end of it, he said, you know, your jujitsu is really good. And I spent the whole time defending myself from him, trying to pull my head off and pull my arms off. And he caught me a couple of times and it was quite okay. And I said, I have finally stepped into not needing to compete with you, with you younger men. 
but I had to get beaten up a bunch of times before my ego finally got the message. Mm. And he respected that what I was doing was my path on jujitsu whilst his is completely different. Mm. And I, I, I don't have to beat these people. I don't even have to be on the same level because my journey is to not injure myself or be injured because my body takes a long time to recover. So I, that was, that's been my aging learning, even though I'm, I'm 45 and I hopefully have many years left to learn more about moving into older age. But my body is definitely telling me, hey, mate, uh, you're not 25 anymore. It's a great analogy for life, yeah. Exactly right. And that's why I love jujitsu. That's, that's what I say mm-hmm. to everyone. And I'll get on the mat and being a higher belt now, I often get paired up with new people coming in, which is almost like a, a, a man coming to circle for the first time. They mm-hmm. don't know what they've gotten themselves into. They know that there's something here. It's a bit of a mystery. And I get to sit with these younger men and sometimes women, but it's, it's fairly male dominated. Just say, take your time, mate. It's your own journey. You don't have to beat anyone. Mm. This, is the, this is what's about to happen for you because it's true for 99% of the people and I expect you'll fall into it. And they, they appreciate that. Some level of guidance from someone who's being gentle with them. So I love that. It's, 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 I always say it's life. It, you know, it's like the microcosm. All of that life stuff happens here. You get to practice it. It's kind of like a mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we do our mindfulness practice so we can actually take it out into the real world and apply it. Like, can you be mindful while you're washing the dishes? Can you... Can you go to the toilet mindfully without taking your phone and checking out your social feed and answering 15 messages in your emails? Can you just go to the toilet mindfully? Sounds ridiculous, but it's all there, right? So that's, that's yeah, moving into that as well. Interesting times. Interesting times. Yeah, another, another thing I'm, 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 I'm called to talk to or comes up for me when we're talking about different ages is... Um, Often we'll start a men's circle with um, why do we sit in circle? And we'll ask some guys and they'll say, oh, because everyone's equal like Knights of the Round Table. Well, some men are more equal than others, <laughs> facilitators. Good George Orwell. And, and another one is, yeah, well, you know, men have been doing this for years, sitting around a fire. And another one might be, well, if something comes up behind you, I've got your back and you've got mine. But for me, the reason for sitting in a circle is so that I can see into the eyes of every other man. Mm. And it took me a while to get why that was important. And it comes back to when I was a teenager, when I was first exposed to groups of men at school. Mm -hmm. And the culture there was look for a weakness in every other bloke. Mm -hmm. Size everyone up. Size everyone up and bring it to the attention of the group. You can... I could do it in a way that was, you know, uh, maybe humorous. And because I was only a weedy little guy, I didn't want to get my head punched in, (laughs) but humorous. But um, basically it was um, pretty cruel what I and what these other boys were doing to each other, Mm -hmm. just hanging shit, picking every weakness I can in every other um, young man so that you didn't see mine it's it's yeah, the taking the piss mentality isn't it yeah 
and and you know we've built a culture around it you bastard you this you this and and it's all been fun but that really hurt and so i've got that memory in my body so if i'm going to sit in a circle and share well here's some stuff i'm ashamed about here's some stuff i didn't do perfectly here's some stuff i'm afraid about here's 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 a fight i had with my family and i'm sort of sorry sorry and want to apologize and i'm sort of still fucking fuming <laughs> And just having all of that normalized, if I'm going to sit there, I don't want someone poking fun at me, making a joke, judging me, teasing me or whatever. So if I can see the eyes of every other man, I feel safe. Mm. So I've just come back. I mentioned last week doing some camps for um, teenage boys and their dads. And it's actually a family program. We have the mums involved with a female facilitation team. And a lot of guys from, you mentioned Common Ground, a lot of guys from uh, Men's Wellbeing with Teenage Sons come through. It's a place called Powerhouse Programs. But uh, we, we did a small COVID camp this time. We only had eight families, so eight dads, eight boys, aged between about 13 and 17. And somehow we ended up with 24 staff. <laughs> and we go, we go into a bush, a place called The Rock, where there's no power and starting to creep in but generally there's no cell phone signal and uh yeah so there's no opportunity to take the phone to the toilet to do whatever it's all being present it's all being uncomfortable Sounds wonderful and um you know people coming on our our camps go through customs so there's no books to read no food no technology no watches all of that type of stuff and we're present and um the, the thing that we give to these boys, and this is why it's great to have so many staff and volunteers, is there's many different ways of being a man. Uh, and there's many different ages of being man. There's different sexual orientations. There's different religious and spiritual orientations. There's Some guys are really muscly and athletic or great at jujitsu. Other guys are very artistic. Each man has his own gifts. And every member of the staff there is there to be the best man they can be for the whole week. And, um, you know, we have some fun and games, but we also share a lot of stories. And we ask the dads to share stories about their dad when they were the age of the boy they came with. Hmm. And we ask them not to philosophize, moralize or give advice, but tell it like it was. Yeah. Tell your story. Your real yeah. story. Yeah. And I say to the dads, you know, if you if we do this well, we'll own it as staff and facilitators as well, and you share well, and our staff share well, the boys will open up. And they're just blown away by, you know, what their boys come up with. I'm still always blown away. So, you know, and, and, and we'll have sharing circles on things like dad and, and breaking away from mum when I'm a little baby, a little, little boy, I want mummy, look at this, look at this, look at me. Then I suddenly want to have my own secrets and break away. And how was that for each man? And uh, to give them the message that um, failure is part of life. Important um, part. An important part of life. So what are some of the challenges we've faced as men or as young men? Mm. Um, that grief is a part of life. Grief. That we don't, simply... And we don't speak about that, especially in a Western society. Yeah. We, we hide so, away from death. 
in, in, in all its manifestations, not just the yeah. death of someone close to you, but the death of a role that you had or the death of a relationship. And we don't allow the sanctity of a grieving period. Yeah. Just put your big boots on, put your big boy pants on next. Yeah. Harden up, go to Bunnings. Yeah. <laughs> go to the trade <laughs> counter, buy a pallet load. Yeah. Harden the fuck up. So yeah, we, 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 we'll have that. And there are lots of tears. Oh, and- magnificent. And um, so yeah, modeling just, some really good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and and that this is part of life. And grief means I've loved something. Grief means I've loved something, and it's no longer there in the way it was. Mm. And, part of the um, process. Yeah, so we, we we have all these different circles and give them a bit of a challenge and an honouring, and they come back. Um, having a completely different idea of what it is to be a man. And it's just such rewarding work. And, you know, the boys get a bit out of it. But as I say to the mums, I say there's a whole lot of growing up goes on these camps. Oh, and then there's what happens for the boys as well. The dads get a huge <laughs> amount out of it. But most importantly, I get a lot out of it. And so do all the staff. That's why we come and volunteer and put these things on. That sounds wonderful. I have to talk to you about that for myself and my boy. I really like that. Sounds a great. I've been I've been looking into this idea of rites of passage for him. He's thirteen now. Perfect. Just because I, I didn't go through any ceremony. My my dad was vehemently anti-religious, which meant mm-hmm. all ceremony was out. Mm-hmm. He was brought up in the Catholic faith and ended up just kicking back against it because of what he saw, and rightly so with his experiences. But there was nothing else to replace that. There was no other ceremony of you are now a man and this is what or this is what it means to be a man or some kind of process of the sharing of wisdom from the previous generations there's none of that when i was younger Mm. and it's so wonderful to see that there are opportunities to go on camps or to sit in circle or even seminars conversations anything like that it's just uh, i feel i feel that we really miss that in our society in in Mm -hmm. this in this western society is various types of rites of passage and again i I always go back to jujitsu because the whole thing is a rite of passage and there are markers along the way Uh, and we could just use that in so many other places the martial arts in general are wonderful like that because there are there, there are paths and there are things that you need to do to get to the next phase and you have to prove yourself in some way and then you have to sit at the feet of the people that are better than you and you have to be able to listen to your teachers and also send it back down. And so there is some sort of ceremony and sanctity in that. And yeah, the rites of passage is a big one. I'm, I'm so, yeah, I'm happy to hear that you do something in that area. That's wonderful. And, and there are lots of different flavours of this of um, emerging, just as, you know, when I got into men's work in Australia, there was um, the Mankind Project, men's well-being in Queensland and men's sheds. Mm-hmm. And um, now there's just so much around, you know? Um, and I, I think this rites of passage, um, there's a lot, lots and lots more of that happening around. Mm. So, yeah, I'm happy to have a conversation with you offline about that. Yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. In some some people some say, information in, in the show notes as well for other people who want to find out about it as well. Yeah, and some people say, well, why, why does a young fellow need a challenge? 
And some people think we're not tough enough on them and others think we're far too tough on them. But it's basically um, we strip away everything. All the comforts of home, the internet, <laughs> the friends, the this, the this. And we put them in a situation where there's a bit of fear, but we're really, really making it safe for them. And they have to do this on their own. And all the things that they could lean on before aren't there. And they, 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 they have a lot of time to reflect in solitude on what sort of man do I want to be? What have I got to let go of in order to be this man? And they find something, something got them through this ordeal, something inside, not something external. And um, I've, heard, I've seen young men come back to me and go, you know, oh, I'm, I was really shitty that my parents took me on this camp. I was 13 and I was far too young for it and da, 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 and I hated them and blah, blah, blah. And two years later, something happened to my best friend, you know, or two years later, a tragedy hit. And I suddenly remembered what I went through and that I could get through this. Um, other kids, it hits them straight away. But uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing to give them that powerful experience and just see them come back and be honoured. You know, mm -hmm. some kids being told he's stubborn. You know, you're stubborn. But a couple of men from the community stand up and say, mate, I really want to acknowledge your persistence. <laughs> I saw some other guys give in and I saw you keep going and I saw you getting it done. And... We need people like that. <laughs> Keep the tribe safe when others give up, you know, and just see them light up that they've been seen yeah. and that every other, quality is a double-edged sword. Yeah, I was just about to say the other side of the coin, isn't it? We, yeah. we, we use that judging language to put people down and you know, what's the benefit of that behaviour? I talk to a lot of men who have the default setting of anger. I mean, yeah, most men, I would, I would think, and I mean, I, I haven't talked to all men, so I can only say most men that I, that I talk to, that it's anger. I've talked to my wife and some other women and they feel guilt and shame is almost a default kind of that's, you know, they get to there, but I like, I want to fight it. If it's a problem, fix it or fight it. Right. Fix it. You know, yeah. like fight, fix or fuck. That's, you know, that's kind of how we're built. So I've been talking to men about it. It's okay. It's okay to be angry. It's, it's like everything else. It's okay to feel guilt and shame. It's what you, it, how you hold it and what you do with it. So it's like having those thoughts about that person was wearing something that's just not quite appropriate or something like that. Yeah, judgment came up. So it being, being told you're stubborn automatically thinking that's a negative trait. Well, in some situations, that's exactly what we need. Yeah. And I would, I would contend that feeling anger sometimes is exactly what is needed right now. And you can harness the energy of that emotion to do some, potentially do some good. And yet we, we, we're all sort of taught somehow a lot of this stuff, you know, there's only very few positive emotions and the rest is not positive. And you don't want those. But they're the ones that come up all the time, aren't they? <laughs> Cause, sure, cause, sure. I mean, I, I would rather feel anger than what's underneath it, which is powerlessness and despair and sadness. 
mm-hmm. or fear. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm not allowed to feel those because I'm a man. No, definitely. <laughs> men are brave and men, men don't cry. We're not, we're not scared of anything. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, I just want to, in my experience, I struggle with anger. I'm getting so much better at it. Oh, I really am. But every now and then I forget. And what's really helped me learn ways of dealing with anger is being in groups or processes with other guys going through it and seeing what's going on in them. Because when I'm steamed up, I can't see what's going on in me. I can't see. All I can see is this is fucking wrong and it shouldn't be that way. And I can't see what's happening is I'm angry. And the reason I'm angry is I don't want to feel this pain. I, you know, I'm running on adrenaline, fight or flight. My, my human brain shut down. I'm surviving on lizard brain, you know, but I can really see it in other guys. And, you know, it's, it's, I just remember a circle a few weeks ago, a guy came in going through a relationship breakdown and he was spewing, he was spewing and he pulled out his phone, which is a no, no in a men's circle and started showing us all text messages from his wife and from his wife's lawyer. And I said this and I said, and I said, mate, I, I can see that you're angry here. And he, he did the perfect two year old thing that I do. I'm not fucking angry. <laughs> And so we, we heard him out and I said, yeah, so there's some other men here who have similar experiences of being angry at a relationship. Let you want to hear from them. And so we'd hear other guys and, and I could talk about my own experience and how I was angry and justifiably so and how it seemed in the heat of the moment and what was really going on. And in the, at, towards the end, the guy said, oh, thank you so much, guys. It's not about the text messages. It's not about this. I am angry, but you know what? I'm really hurt. I'm really fucking hurt. I'm just absolutely gutted. And we just, you know, held that for him and, you know, acknowledged it in him. And that was beautiful. So seeing that many times in many different ways over and over again now helps me with my anger. (laughs) But if someone confronted me with that, you know, you're angry, I'd be straight back there. No, I'm fucking not. <laughs> exactly. It's a autopilot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's um yeah, it's amazing. I see that in my kids. I'll say something and I'm like, oh, I said the wrong thing because they're firing back. I've mm-hmm. hit the button. I hit the button right in the middle this time. Shit. Or they hit mine and then I go into Whoop, crazy dad mode and i have to go for a walk and come back because i know if i don't it'll just escalate because i don't have the capacity a lot of the time to to, to de-escalate myself in the middle of it go for a walk, come back and then i have to well, i don't have to but i choose to sit down and explain and apologize yeah and, and if nothing else at least i've modeled some level of self-awareness and acknowledged that it wasn't your fault that was my shit I'm um, sorry that I blew up and it, and it ended up heading in your direction. <laughs> and and, and uh, here's, here's a tough question for you. So how do you model that? Okay. And, and you're modeling beautifully that I can get steamed up and then I can regret it afterwards and I can own it rather than hold that grudge and resentment. Beautiful way of getting rid of it. Um, how do you model? And this, I, I just wish we were in a men's group now and we could hear from every man. Mm. How do you model the positives of anger 
see, I, I feel that's a really difficult one at the moment. Oh yeah. In, in, in the current society. Yeah. And I would say, I would say oh, 15 or so years ago, I had a conversation uh, with a really close female friend. We're out of touch now, but we were talking about masculinity and aggression. And she said, aggression is attractive and it's not a negative. And it stopped me dead because I'd never heard a woman say that aggression was attractive. So I had a conversation with her about it. And she, I can't remember her exact language in and around it, but she was saying, it, it, what's wrong with it? It's strong and there's a vibrant energy to it. And she was explaining all of these things that she saw in it. Meanwhile, society is saying men need to calm down. There's too much violence. There's too much. So everything's getting squashed and all these things that we're taught to be a man is. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we, maybe we don't need to be as macho as Rambo and the Terminator and all Bruce Willis. That's who you said earlier. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. My hero. But, 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 but also there, there are, there are positives to all of these aspects that you're telling us are negative. Mm -hmm. So I think to answer your question, it's difficult in the current, environment to elevate the positive side of what it has been labeled negative i don't know what the answer is how, how do we model that maybe maybe that's where persistence comes in a bit of stubbornness that we can show that and that we can show that it can be positive um, when i talk about anger there's a there's a great line in a rage against the machine song is that your anger is a gift hmm and he's talking about uh, protest and standing up for yourself and uh, you know, social injustice and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of their message, right? I was like, oh, that's powerful. Your anger is a gift. And so to take that to the next level, if you use it in, in a way that's productive and helpful, so we can model it in some way. I, I don't know exactly what that is in, in, in specifics. Well, I'd like to throw something at you and bounce it off throw you, it. if I may. Bounce. So, um, and, and I'll do this by talking about myself and because I'm projecting this onto you. So I'll mm -hmm. explain my situation and we can see if something similar is going on for you. But okay, there's a lot of stuff in happening in the world at the moment and happening in Australia. And I live on a border town <laughs> and there's a lot of anger about um, requirements for vaccinations, about borders opening and closing, about government subsidies, about welfare levels, about climate change. Don't get me started. About climate change, about refugees and all of that. And you know what? I can get caught up in all of those. And you know what? I can get caught up on both sides. I'm all confused about them, right? Mm -hmm. And I can waste a lot of energy there. And then you were talking about being present. The calm me goes, okay, I'm not helping anybody by getting caught up in any of those issues. Um, it'd probably do me some good to think about where I sit with those things mm -hmm. when I'm not caught up in it and have a position for me, but not for everybody else. But do I give a shit enough about them to go out and expend some energy on them? And the answer is no, because there is stuff that I do care enough about to spend my energy on. And so, you know, there's all this stuff with climate change and I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what to believe, but I'm really glad there are people who do devote a lot of energy 
into educating others, fixing others, modeling how to do it well, modeling how to not do it well. Uh, the same thing with refugees, the same thing with domestic violence, the same thing with all of this stuff, right? I can get head up about it and waste a lot of energy. The energy I want to devote is into helping guys going through horrible changes in life, whether it's a relationship breakdown, an addiction, a health or a whatever, a midlife crisis. That's where I put my energy and all the energy I could have wasted on that. And I still do because I get caught up in that stuff. Still I'm wasting for what I'm really called to do. So my way of expressing anger, if you like, <laughs> is doing what I'm doing is putting that energy into this and, and part of that is, yeah, I don't like some parts of our culture. I don't like the way I was treated. And there's a bit of fuck you, I'll show you in it as well. That's good, healthy energy. Mm -hmm. um, as long as it's not, I'm doing this to get back, but I'm doing this to really make a difference. I'm doing this to create perhaps what wasn't there for me or what was there for me and I couldn't see. So my projection on you, Adam, is... What you're doing, you're bringing some beautiful stuff to the world. Thank you. You're bringing the best out in others because I've got good and bad in me and you're bringing out good in me. That's, that's your anger. That's your make the change in the world. And you could spend a lot of time on domestic violence or on you know refugees or climate change or vaccinations or blah, 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 blah. You're doing this, you know? And that to me is a healthy expression of anger. Mm. So how was that projection? Yeah. I, I think very close to the mark. Uh, my, yeah. I, I have a philosophical difficulty with standing up and putting a flag in the ground. Mm. And my philosophical difficulty is not any fear about how old we seem. It is that in my heart, I know we're all one. And I know that everyone is doing the best they can with what they've got. And it's not for me to judge anyone's motivations. And as soon as I say I stand for this, then I create an other and I create a schism. And then I create an argument, a fight. And there are uh, how many fights? There's, there are countless fights that, that, that oh, I yeah. could be a part of. Yep. So instead of saying this is what I stand for, my, my way is to hold space for whatever someone needs right now. And I've, you know, I'm starting to be seen as someone in the men's health space, but I've never said that I'm here for men. I just happen to do a lot of work within men's circles myself mm -hmm. and I talk to men who do work in men's circles but I work with women as well so it's my focus is in individual people and if I mm -hmm. can help that person on their journey then then maybe that ripples out hmm. and it doesn't matter how far it ripples out because yeah, I, I'm 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 very much of the believer that you 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 know you work at your own house and your own family and your own community, and your own town. And if everyone focuses nice and close, then it has to grow. 
if we're trying to change the state, the country, the world all at once, well, there are too many differing opinions and we're just going to, mm. we're talking earlier before, wasting energy. So where can I put my energy? Well, I can put it into a small container and I can attract a small amount of people to that container mm. and I can help that small amount of people. And maybe they will at, in some way help other people or support other people or whatever that may be. I know that in some way I've helped thousands, if not tens of thousands of people, because over 20 plus years I've coached, I've owned a gym, I've done personal training, I've done therapy, I've held space. Now, directly I've touched thousands of people, but how many people have they touched? Mm. So I can focus more and know that there's a network growing. So, you know, and I'm conscious that we're running out of time and, you know, you've just brought up a beautiful topic that I'd love to spend another one and a half hours on. And that is just life purpose and mission and everything like that. And that's why a lot of guys get, particularly men, get lost mm -hmm. is my life was really meaningful. Things have changed and now it no longer isn't. And um, I see, you know, you living a life of purpose and meaning. And I also see that meaning has evolved over the years. Definitely. And may it continue to do so. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's um, I've seen that a lot too. That that that, hmm. and I see that especially in men, where they hit a certain point in their, it's either an age thing or a career achievement thing, where they tick all the boxes they were told to tick. I have a wife, two point three children, a house. I have a holiday house, a boat, two cars a dog, a cat, and a budgie. I've ticked all these boxes and none of this is fulfilling mm. in the way that I expected it to be fulfilling or in the way I was told that it was going to be fulfilling. And oh, mm. by the way, who am I? Mm. Well, yeah. Well, so we're, what was it? Was it Lennon? John Lennon? Life's, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. <laughs> I think that's that's what happens to a lot of people because we we um we believe the narrative until often something has to happen. There has to be a fracture. There has to be a schism. There's a, a midlife crisis. There's a some kind of a disaster. Hmm. You know, I had a, I call it my quarter life crisis. So I was about twenty twenty five or so, and I hated my job the relationship I was in wasn't working and I just went, fuck this all and packed up, bought a ticket, went over to London for a year and three months beforehand met my wife. So I'd already bought the ticket, met her, worked out she was the one for me and went over to London without her. And then I called her up one day and said, all right, um, sell your business. I've bought you a ticket. And she came over. And so, but I had to have it all go before I worked out what was going to grow out of it. Hmm. And I'm still working it out. I don't know what the answer is. That's great though, working out that you don't need to know. Yeah, that's that's a good one. But I we I would definitely love to do part two on on those few things that you spoke about. Sure. Purpose and all of that. It's wonderful stuff. It's wonderful. And uh, I, I'm a big believer in uh, not getting caught up in goal based living and, and instead like live based on your values. What's 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 for you right now? Because as I say people tick off their goals and they work out that there was nothing underneath them. What, what, what am I about? Why am I here? Who am I? What am I meant to do? 
Okay, okay. let's let's have a conversation sometime on values, goals, and purpose. Yeah, because oh, um, be wonderful. Yeah, I, I've got a little bit of experience in that. People say, oh, you know, being an elder, you know, there's wisdom and uh, famous quote again, not mine, but I like it's, you know, no, that wisdom comes from not doing things right. That wisdom comes from, you know, making a lot of fuck ups, yeah, yeah. <laughs> learning how lots of failure, learning how not to do it. I earned these scars. Yeah, the school of hard knocks. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Oh, maybe we can just leave it there and I'll go and uh, have a cup of tea and sit with some of the stuff that you've raised. I find that after about 90 minutes, just listening to someone else's story, I need a little bit of space just to sure hold it. Um, I really appreciate your time, Tim. Thank, thank, thank you for you. showing up and leaning in. Yeah.